All right, ladies and gentlemen of the Bizzlecast, welcome to the Bizzle's commentary for The Martian, one of the greatest films of 2015, one of the greatest science fiction films ever. Um, I have it up with Creed as my two favorite films of that year, and I'm including indie films. Go back to 2014, Birdman's my favorite film, but in 2015, I thought The Martian and Creed were a step above, um, or or numerous steps above, everything else in the competition for some similar reasons and some different reasons. You can check out my past podcasts. I don't want to introduce this one too long, but imagine for a second that Ridley Scott one of the greatest but darkest uh, you know film directors of all time took on a science fiction property in the near future where someone was stranded on Mars and it wasn't a horror movie and it wasn't a suspense movie and it wasn't overly philosophical and with Ridley Scott he's looking upon it and the clouds part and the sun shines down and humanity is not only salvageable but committed to its own salvation consciously and positively We've got the disco music of Jessica Chastain's character. is the upbeat can-do frontier spirit music of America. An amazing rainbow cast of all ages and genders and ethnicities, uh, led, among others, uh, by Chiwetel Ejiofor, who is an absolute joy among the rest of them. But The Martian is a radically humanistic and realistically utopian take on the ultimate fate of the human race, disguised as a feel-good space teamwork story that captured audiences' imaginations and is going to be a critical tool, in my opinion, and I hope, in enticing younger people to engage with science in general and astronomy in particular. On a mind-blowingly low budget of around $100 million with legendary director Ridley Scott at the helm, The Martian in 2015 managed to upstage Christopher Nolan's um, bombastic but uh, somewhat controversial Interstellar from the year before in 2014, in which Matt Damon and Jessica Chastain both had roles uh, as well. Um, But The Martian had much more compelling characters and a more grounded and realistic science that was always delivered with a personal touch. There was never straight exposition, as was the case of Interstellar and most science fiction properties. But as great as the plot and action are, it's the brilliant casting and the mixed comedy-drama deliveries of all the cast that makes this not only one of the best films of 2015, but one of the great science fiction movies ever, as well as one of the most rewatchable films of all time. As Papa Bizzle puts it, the humanism of this movie, quote, just oozes out of its pores, unquote. Laughing out loud for an entire two-plus hours of a Ridley Scott movie against all odds, but with the drama and the suspense and, of course, sciencing the shit out of everything, this is a game-changer, in my opinion, in terms of movies that romanticize science and, you know, the larger human project. Um, in fact, you know, I, I see The Martian as a sort of superhero movie that's actually a superhero movie made up of people who exist on this world doing stuff like this. This just happens to seem like in the future a little bit, but if we had our, you know, political priorities straight, technologically we'd already be there, and we have people like this in NASA and JPL and space agencies throughout the globe. 
The Martian gloriously brings to life a near-future scientific utopia of global cooperation and single-minded devotion towards the preservation of human life and the uplift of all humanity. So with that, let us go into the countdown. Pause here if you need to to get your DVD, Blu-ray, or digital file queued up to zero. Once you're at zero, 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 make sure you have the subtitles on. Um, I will put the sound on around 10%, as I'm always talking about. Get some ambient sound. Amazing music by Harry Griggs and Williams, who also scored uh, Ridley Scott's Kingdom of Heaven, <laughs> which is a highly underrated movie and an extremely uh, virtuosic soundtrack as well. The music here is great. It's more in the Pink Floyd, David Bowie era, uh, mixed with a little Hans Zimmer, um, and uh, other influences. And I hope you enjoyed this movie. I'm going to count it down in a couple seconds. We're going to laugh a lot together and just watch the brilliance of a cast of thousands in a movie with looks like it has a budget three times what it is and a director not known for directing uplifting stories uh, particularly. And it just goes down so nice. So enjoy this with me. I'm going to count it down. All right, here we go. When I say go, you hit play. Three, two, one, go. All right, people. Welcome to the Bizzlecast film commentary for The Martian. If you know anything about me or my podcast, you know that I love this movie. And it actually lost in 2015 for me just because Creed was so all-time great, amazing. As is this, it was very tough for the number one slot. Needless to say, Creed and The Martian are two of my favorite movies of the last five or ten years. TSG Entertainment does a lot of Ridley Scott's movies. I don't think he has a stake in it, as far as I can tell. I have researched it. This is probably the coolest of all the production company uh, graphical intros ever. Especially when you add in the uh, the penny whistle or whatever. It's on like Braveheart. Boom, you just see the bird. And here we go, Aerospace. I did my Interstellar commentary recently. Really, really like that movie more and more with each watching 20th Century Fox. But Fox here gets it even righter. And is Interstellar darker? Yes. Is it more uh, morally ambiguous? Yes. But ultimately, they both have happy endings. And I find that The Martian is able to maintain a ton of complexity about the character and plot narrative levels without having to be, you know, quote-unquote, not a feel-good movie. And they sell it with two very quick scenes, relatively quick scenes, the concept I just put forward. This early scene where we find out how dangerous the planet is, and everyone makes it off alive, other than Mark Watney, apparently, and then the scene where he, you know, finds himself alive, but skewered, and is trying to put his body back together. So a lot of these establishment shots here are from Jordan, which has a very red desert. Indeed, I've been there. A lot of places on the planet I have not been, but Jordan and the desert is one I have been. And, uh... I think the bigger and more important, uh, you know, decision and execution in this movie was just taking the tons and tons and tons of relatively low-res satellite imagery we have from Mars and just put 3D uh, 
like this, 3D effects onto it. Right, I mean, you know, it's almost like a Zack Snyder movie in that it's so obviously a green screen, and yet it's so appealing at the same time with the characters and the way it's filmed and framed that you buy into it. It's important early here that they're all making fun of each other, they're a team, they love each other. Oh, there's Kate Barra, my crush, and behind him is Sebastian Stan, who plays Bucky slash the Winter Soldier. <laughs> yeah, they're making you're making fun of each other's mouth. They've been on the planet a couple weeks only, but they've been out in space for quite a while. So they've been living in close quarters. This must be quite exciting for them, actually. <laughs> right. And what's great is you think the shutting off of the recorder is gonna, you know, exacerbate the situation when it comes to Matt Damon getting skewered and almost killed. But no, it's just a gag. There's a ton of character gags in this movie, so you know. We're three minutes and 25 seconds in. We also already have a mission update about the weather situation. They just jump right into it. Ridley Scott, the director. Drew Goddard, the writer. And Andy Weir, the writer of the book that this is heavily based on. Of the same name. Look how you did the lighting there. You know, that's, that spaceship is clearly not there. You know, it looks a little CGI-y, but it didn't look more CGI in the theater. You know, Ridley Scott just knows how to, you know, work with CGI as to not become obsessed with it, but know what it'll look like on both the big screen and the small screen. Okay, so in one of my uh, Martian podcasts, I think it was with my dad, the original sort of Martian love fest that we did, I talked about how, you know, could they have battened down the hatches of the rocket a little bit more, as tall as it is, you know, and have some more mooring and steel rods and so forth, but they do have some. It's just not enough for a storm of this magnitude. Now, my dad said Matt Damon never worked with the other um, actors face-to-face, but we could clearly see back there that that is not the case. And definitely at the end, when they're sort of hugging him in his suit, when he gets rescued, spoiler alert, um, you can tell that he spent some time with them. This is great. I mean, Ridley Scott going into helmet camp first person, boom. And this is only the first time they blow up the hab. <laughs> Matt Damon blows up the hab later. Look at these camera angles and camera shots. It's so cool. It's such a more interesting version of science fiction. Interstellar was very much a tribute to a lot of sci-fi, classic sci-fi properties, film and otherwise. This movie is just all on its own. Look at this shot here. I mean, this is all CGI, but through movement and sound, it's just, you know, you get sucked into it. Right, so they're tipping already. They got to get to the shuttle before it tips too much to, to launch. It's interesting that they didn't foresee this happening in the first few weeks or whatever. Here comes boom. Oh, boom. Uh, it's a great moment of sci-fi, you know, horror right there. Yeah, it's like terminated <laughs> with the, the beginning of the Star Trek reboot. I don't know where he is. How could they see anything? And, you know... As I talk about Interstellar, it took this role for Chastain, even though much smaller, but such a powerful role for me to truly appreciate her and go back to the movies I'd seen her in and be like, okay, she wasn't just good. She was great. And she's great here. She is the leader. You believe it. You believe that they believe it. You believe that they believe, you know, that, that she believes it. And that's the important thing. 
Right, hone in on the suit. That's great. I totally forgot about that little GPS track. And so, you know, again, I'm going to... Whenever I talk about the story, it's a split between Andy Weir, the author of the original book, and uh, Drew Goddard and the other folks involved in the screenplay itself. But in this story... He couldn't just get nailed badly. He had to have his, you know, biomonitor destroyed. So they really had no excuse to stay, no reason to stay. And yet Lewis, two, I think two months or four months from now when they learn about it, immediately feels guilty and responsible. She's grasping for anything. Can barely see the hab. Uh, I talked about Interstellar that these bigger uh, suits are much cooler looking, actually, in both the close up and the and the far shot. I know it's more practical, but you know it looks like it looks less like stormtroopers from the original Star Wars and more like you know, Starcraft or more modern uh, visualizations of of what space gear would look like. So, you know, this thus begins the using of thrusters in various creative ways to live. Um, that's important in Interstellar and especially important here. On my way. Yeah, she had to give up on him. They're not going to leave without her if she's alive, and so she knows you better get there or they're all going to die. She would have stayed. Mark, she looks through. Look at that. The, the type of debris, I mean, it looks... You know, it's like uh, lead pelts or something. I don't know how they came up with it. It looks amazing. It might be red, just with the lack of, of light. Boom. Yeah, uh, the blending of practical and uh, and CGI, even on a much lower budget here, looks better to me than Interstellar. I need, yeah, I need you to verbally tell me. Uh, she has to make the call to leave. And that's why she says later, I left him, I left him. God, that looks good. Looks like an old school rocket from Johnson, you know, Spaceport or whatever. Kennedy. There's the empty seat. Beautiful framing device that will haunt her up until she saves him at the end of the movie. That's what this movie's about. It's about humanity. It's about teamwork. It's about getting, you know, over oneself and other people's egos. Boom. Right. Nine minutes, 15 seconds. We have Jeff Daniels as Teddy Sanders, head of NASA, you know, announcing that this happened or they thought it happened, that he's dead. All right. His press conference coming up where they ask him if he resigns and he just goes, no. Next question. <laughs> All right, the MAV, the Mars Ascent Vehicle. That was the third uh, MAV-3, I believe, or Ares-3. So why tell them now that he's dead already? And he has to eat his words later, and that's part of the problem. Yeah. Right, Mark Watney is dead. I guess he felt like the chances were so low, and he's not wrong to feel this way. Just quash it now. Here we go. Oh, no, we don't see it there. Oh, right. They don't call for his resignation until they discover Mark Watney is, in fact, alive. As he is. So, three plus minutes in, we get the teamwork pre-sandstorm. Ten minutes in, 
you know, we get his beeping suit telling him to get the fuck up. Look at this. This looks so great. You know, it doesn't matter that it was all green screen. He knew exactly what he was doing. And I give Dune credit, actually. The very cheesy but well-executed, um, let's just say uh, aesthetically cheesy, but character, narrative-wise, well-executed Dune miniseries on the Sci-Fi Channel in, uh, I think, 2000. They did excellent work on, on merging sand with with green screen. And while it was even apparent then... There just weren't that many people working on that. Oh, there it is. Boom. So, it's, I'm not sure where his bio monitor is. Just watch the way Ridley Scott shoots this whole movie. If you hadn't told me ahead of time, I have no idea. Oh my god, it just pulled on it. it started bleeding. I don't know where this came from. You know, I mean, the next five minutes are the, really the darkest five minutes in the entire movie. Would you think he might not actually be capable of saving himself? But indeed he is. And then Ridley Scott, all of a sudden, you know, the clouds part, the side of the cup's down. Humanity is, you know, not only salvageable, but, you know, committed to its own salvation consciously and positively. It's amazing. It's great. That's great. I, I think he must have been so loose directing this, and he gets to do these, you know, scary, shaky shots enough to, like, do his Ridley Scott thing, you know, but it was almost, like, challenging himself about how optimistic he could be. <laughs> He's not used to being so optimistic. Kingdom of Heaven is his most optimistic movie, and it ends in horrific violence on all sides. You know, the alien movies speak for themselves. Prometheus was just shite. Blade Runner, extremely dark, invented the dark AI genre, as far as we can tell. But, you know, this has the smooth but washed out sheen of, like, Interstellar. But, you know, Spielberg's done shit like this. It's sort of a shared property. You know, why it's always so white and bright inside. I'm sure there are safety reasons for that. Here we go. Okay, so if you watch some medieval, like Braveheart, uh, you almost never should pull something out that's lodged into you because if it's curved the wrong way, it can cause more damage going out than going in. Uh, he had a sense that it was it was flat or whatever. And, you know, in Interstellar, a year before this, Matt Damon plays an evil, scared, you know, cowardly, uh, you know, selfish astronaut. And here he is, the upset. Not that he's not selfish in the literal sense, but, you know. He ends up finding motivation to survive, not just for himself. Oh, he's stapling the shit shut. Boom, 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 boom. Oh, man. Yeah, I think they probably do have that technology in the high military in, in space, but who knows. He's a botanist. It would be great if he had been a, uh, you know, clothes maker as well, with a needle and thread. I remember seeing it in this theater. I mean, we'd seen the previews, and it looked so funny and entertaining. Almost 15 minutes in... It, you know, it's bloody and entertaining, and it's dark, and, you know, how can anyone get out of this, you know, just terrible mess of a situation? 
I always wonder why he does this. He dry, does he burn it? He disinfects it. I'm not really sure what what the point of that is. He's put. Uh, and he has some major psychological losses after this, but this is the first uh, and the only you know hugely physical impediment that he faces, which was important because he couldn't survive multiple major medical issues. You know. And this, like so much of the early movie, is a misdirect into thinking that, you know, sort of medical issues are going to be a big part and a big problem. But it's just to get us to his first confessional coming up here. You know, I mean, Matt Damon. Fuck. <laughs> uh,. I remember after the first couple of watchings, it said even in my podcast that I thought they used the F word multiple times, but they actually just imply the F word multiple times. And we just heard the one and only that you're allowed with the PG-13, which is so ridiculous. Right, here's the login, here's the journal, boom. He's got nothing else, no one else to talk to, he's going to talk to himself. I speculate, you know, years and years into this, whether he, he listens to himself, watches himself, talk. All right, here we go. This, this is the weakest we ever see him. This is Mark Watney. For the record. Soul 19, they weren't even there three weeks. Obviously, I'm alive. Right. He's setting it up. Crewmates and NASA being surprised. Right, and the entire world caring. He he already gets the whole equation. Surprise! <laughs> I did not die on Soul 18. <laughs> oh, here it is. Right, the antenna broke off. Tore through my biomonitor. Exactly. It's interesting to think whether it did everything else other than tear through the biomonitor. What would have happened with Commander Lewis? Ended up saving all of them, I think. Yeah, and they talk about how he's stressing throughout the movie and all communications that he doesn't blame the crew and, and they made the right decision and it's not their fault. But of course, Jessica Chastain is going to feel like it's her fault. Okay, here it is. 31 days in the hab. Right, oxygen, water, breach in terms of pressurization. He'll, he'll implode. Yeah, <laughs> if none of that happens, right, run out of food. So here comes the equation. This is your thinking. So, what's he thinking right now? Other than just being overwhelmed. Yeah. God, is he good. He was nominated. I know Leo got it. It was a much bloodier performance, but this is way more subtle. This is him at his lowest. Even when the potato farm dies and he almost blows himself in the whole base up, he's more at peace at that point because he's really made an attempt. So the storm continues to go on. This is great. That's how big of a storm it is. It's like a multi-day storm. You know, you had to sell that. This was not a common occurrence, even in a weird environment like Mars. And, you know, that's just a green panel behind his head there, you know. But the lighting always adds up. And uh, when it comes to green screens, you know, projecting fake backgrounds onto green screens around the, uh, around the, uh, the actors, it takes a lot of work from the production team. And they make a full-size MAV, 
has maybe even more rooms than what we say, um, just to create different setups and different shots. But like here, I mean, this is totally 360. That's a green screen on the window. Might as well be there. It's flawless. The lesson here, people, and I won't harp on it, is you don't need 250 million to have great special effects in 2016. You just don't. Here's the beginning of going through his um, teammates' personal belongings and either learning more about them or finding them useful or both. Johansson with an exclamation mark. God, Kate Barr is so cute. You know, they really they had so little time to sell the, the actual personas of the five other members of the Hermes crew who end up coming back to get him. But they just tapped into the natural personalities. It seems like the natural personalities of of the crew. German guy who's just kind of zen. He's a very nice dude. Doesn't say much. Sebastian Stan, all-American sweetheart, you know, who, who likes to, you know, occasionally fake brag, but is really a down-to-earth guy. Kate Mara, a sweet, cute, um, very perceptive you know, a science nerd, you know, techie. And then I think Chastain has to do the most heavy lifting of, of just being an impossibly confident and badass commander. Not that she's capable of it, but not sure it exists in the real world very much. So, And she is the most on her plate, obviously, in terms of, of dramatic stuff going on with the Hermes crew. So here, here comes the food calculation. I mean, that's the thing. You're 20 minutes in, and he's already, he's already figured it out. Yeah, I'm not sure he can do it, but he figured out the equation. I love that he's eating sweet sour chicken. I, I ate sweet sour chicken tonight, people. It was not uh, on purpose, but I guess it was a tribute to this movie. So they saved their waste. I have to think this is um, a no-trace-left-behind thing, that even though you know mars is apparently empty of life or devoid of life at the moment although there's indications because of water that there may have been life one time that even human waste if there is the tiniest amount of bacteria on mars could cause you know a evolutionary revolution if you will and i'm not sure that's you know the worst thing but in terms of environmentalism it makes sense to say okay it's like the prime directive and star trek we're trying to interfere as little as possible but it's lucky that they saved all the human poop especially johansson's which smells terrible apparently here he goes boom three years worth of food right plant nothing grows what am i gonna do luckily I'll give you laughing a lot, of people. I apologize. This movie's so funny. It's po- <laughs> yeah, Matt Damon just was able to have a fun time with this, you know. Leo with the revenant, just dark, 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 you know. Damon got to stretch and flex all of his uh, actor muscles. Here's the poop. Watney's poop. Yeah, it's amazing what a little slow movement will do to sell space. I think they filmed in like really, really like two, you know high speed film, like two hundred and forty frames per per second, and two hundred forty uh, at two hundred and forty frames per second, you can do a lot in terms of how how quickly the images run. So, Henry Grigson Williams uh, doing this, 
soundtrack spectacular <laughs> uh oh stable came out uh Henry Grigson Williams who also did the Kingdom of Heaven soundtrack which is one of the great soundtracks ever goes in a totally different direction with this working in some Hans Zimmer who he's clearly influenced by working in a little bit of the synthy uh side of Clint Manziel um, from Moon and The Fountain, Requiem for a Dream. But also some Pink Floyd stuff. And I I did search the internet immediately after seeing this to see if I was the only one. That The dinging noise you hear every time you see what soul it is, what day it is on Earth, soul 65, whatever, blah, blah, blah. There's a ding, and it's the exact noise. Sound, frequency, no, everything, you know, as <laughs> great cheese as... Uh, Pink Floyd in the Fuck You Mars. Right, that ding right there in Soul 31. Pink Floyd on Metal, a track called Echoes, which was meant to be the final like half hour uh, soundtrack for 2001 Space Odyssey that ended up not happening. But Pink Floyd released it. <laughs> you know, Hanson Chases. Yeah. I, yeah, I talk about how because she's the youngest and the cutest and the most, you know, just sort of normal, she's exactly the one you should be making fun of, you know. If you start making fun of the German guy's poop, it's somehow more gross. But Kate Mara, you're like, oh, that's cute. Potatoes. I mean, the thing is, once he establishes the principles, this is not even hard for him. He knows exactly what temperature and moisture level and so forth. And as he says, it actually, they grow faster than he expects. This is great. And as I was saying, the soundtrack from Harry Grinkson Williams, you know, when he has a few moments of real human drama tension in the movie, he nails it by making it super intense, um, but in a minimalistic way. It's actually less minimalistic during the sort of human discovery um, uh, parts here with Matt Damon. You know, he layers it with with a lot of sort of positive, you know, musical uh, influences to stress how much of achievement this is, even before he's achieved it, just to get this far, right? Right. Every cubic meter of soil, he needs to make water. And this is great, because not only does he learn to make water, which is just ridiculous and nobody can really do as a single person that task, but he almost kills himself in his first attempt, which is important that as careful and smart as he is, he's, you know, in these situations, you can't be careful and smart enough. You always have to be wearing a suit, even when you don't think so. Burn it. <laughs> Yeah, nothing bad has ever happened from lighting hydrogen on fire. He's referring to nuclear weapons. Right. Yeah, the whole die in space, we're all going to die thing is great. <laughs> so that's exactly how you talk in this situation. You'd have to make fun of the fact that you might die in any second. <laughs> Martinez's personal items. He's carving up Jesus. <laughs> yeah, and it's the thing... Right, Jesus will be cool with the whole thing. <laughs> He's watching Happy Days. So the 70s thing is very intentional in this. The 70s music, you know, Commander Lewis, somehow she's the only one that left music behind. Uh, his horrible disco music, which he claims to hate, but has to listen to. Oh, here we go. They got the Happy Days, the, the you know Pink Floyd, and other sort of 70s synth stuff going on. It's intentional. It's intentional. Here we go. 
Oh. <laughs> this got huge laughs at the theater. <laughs> yeah, I blew myself up. And it's a brilliant reason why. Right. He forgot to account for the excess oxygen from himself, which seems like an obvious thing for him now going forward. And that's why to learn this lesson is lucky to be alive. And the ringing in his ears, they pl- play for us. And our ears are ringing too. This works better with headphones. Oh man, that was really intense. <laughs> Here he is. Yeah, he puts a positive spin on it. This is actually jet fuel was uh, with made. They nearly burned down their door making rocket fuel. Banished them to a nearby farm. Yep, exactly. That's Universities would normally just kick kids out for that. You know, but maybe, ah, oh, they're smarter than us. We should give them some land and some money and make things happen. And that's how Jet Propulsion Laboratories, who is a huge part of this movie, was founded. The main feeder for JPL is Caltech, a tiny but extremely uh, high IQ uh, institution of higher learning, of which Kip Thorne, one of the greatest 10 astrophysics slash cosmologists in the last you know 40 years, is the uh, patron saint of and does consult on some of these movies that are trying to be sort of more hard science like this and interstellar. Okay, this is important. Soul 54. Been here a while. Still figuring shit out. But this is where the timelines are about to merge in the two movies. Oh, what does he just come up with here? Oh, he he's, he thinks he saw a... Uh, yeah, yeah, it's true. You cut a little square with that much moisture, it won't make that much of a difference. You know, it's, it's not just a device. You can, like, smell it. That's why he's a botanist on Mars. I mean, this guy's the best. You can smell plant growth where there's nothing. And they mirror this at the very end, and who cares, because he's earned it by then. Hey there. Okay, here we go. Right, like I said, now we finally go to Earth. We go to Earth with enough feeling like he might actually survive to make these scenes really work. Not totally clear why they waited two months to bury him uh, (laughs) in D.C., The legacy. Uh, it was like Rocky giving a speech at Apollo's funeral. Alright, here we go, baby. Chiwetology 4, Vizca Kapoor, director of Mars missions. They got the stats on this one, too. It's just like in Creed. There's a lot of similarities. Movies that could seem not more different. <laughs> Lovely speech. <laughs> He's listening to his own speech, feeling horrible about it. Here it is. Sally time. Not gonna happen. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. He's selling it for future missions, but that's he has a feeling about Watney. This is the one thing you just got to buy in the movie. Is that he has a feeling. Right, which is Ares Five, the Skeplayer Creator, public domain organization, transparent. Yeah, he's worried of seeing Watney's dead body, which is not irrational. Yeah. <laughs> of course I'm afraid of a VR problem. 
Yeah, paperclip. Daniel is is never wrong. He's not going anywhere. You know? He's going to be up there forever. Right. (laughs) He'll be covered in sand in a year. Yeah. Teddy just... They both sense that he could be alive. That's what makes this scene current. Even though there's no evidence so far. Edgy Ford nails it here, though, with the hard sell. But a rational hard sell, right? They got sympathy. The country's with, with, with Watney. We're going to bring him back on a future mission. So we're going to make sure that we, we... Right, we frame it that way. Yep. Exactly. If they wait a year, then they'll lose the support of Congress. No one gives a shit because it's too late. Okay, here we go. One of the many, many ensemble characters in The Martian that makes this movie special and why I think it's better than Interstellar because of the number and quality and, you know, sort of differentiation of all the side characters in this movie. One thirty a.m., so she's not a senior person. She wouldn't be here at one thirty a.m. either. She looks young, but they do some stuff with her hair and her face to make her look a little older. That's uh, Mackenzie Davis right there. He's stunningly gorgeous in real life, and you can already tell, but with the hair and the glasses, they just they try and make her look like, you know, Michelle Pfeiffer as the uh, secretary in, in Batman or whatever. Yeah, Kapoor gets... That's the thing. Edgy for as, as Vista Kapoor gets permission to do this and says, immediately turn it on Mark Watney and see if anything's going on. 18. What? This translates so well on the big screen, but, you know, I think people as brilliant as Ridley Scott are also having people view these things as if, okay, what if these people are seeing this on TV for the first time or on DVD? You know, that, that's tough to do, so it's not so obvious as to hit you in the face, but that any normal person can see. Yes, him. And this gets her promoted to, like, senior, uh, you know, satellite, uh, whatever, coordinator. How sure. Right. <laughs> Kristen Wiig. She gets introduced as her tag, you know, title comes on. You've got to be shitting me. <laughs> Right, so the bands will be clean. Jeff Daniels is finding any reason, you know, that this is bullshit. Yeah, I mean, Mackenzie uh, Davis here remains intimidated by him for a while, but when she believes in something, she'll stand up for it. She thinks that, like Kapoor, that there's no way this is an accident. I'll learn how to strike. And this causes a huge problem later. This is, you know, Jeff Daniels causing his own demise, quote-unquote, by keeping them in the dark. <laughs> Dear America, remember the astronaut we killed and had a really nice funeral for? <laughs> Turns out he's alive in a bar. our bad. <laughs> she gets to say shit a lot in this scene. It's also for Kristen Wiig. This this is brilliant casting. I remember reading the cast list for this and going, okay, how is Jeff Daniels, Matt Damon, Chiwetel for you know, uh, Kristen Wiig, you know, Jessica Chastain, Sebastian Stan, like, how are all these people, Kate Mara, going to work together? It seems impossible. And they ended up spending more time away from Watney than I was expecting, but it works great. As I talk about my dad, they could have... <laughs> 
Like, <laughs> I'm definitely gonna die up here. <laughs> oh, the disco music. But the disco music is all about the upbeat, can-do, American uh, frontier spirit. You know, that's the thing. He ends up dancing to it not long from now. Oh, here we go. The press conference. This is so good. He says three words. Yeah. We're working on it. <laughs> We're looking into that. <laughs> that that was the whole scene. That was it. It's just those three questions. Are you gonna resign? No. Boom. Back to Mars. So the whole idea is that you know they're seeding uh, what they call Mavs, Mars Ascent vehicles in different parts of Mars to plan for future missions, because it's easier to do it ahead of time, unmanned things, send them down so you know that they're secure and you can use them in future missions. That's why the sandstorm that knocked out this particular mission was so rare that they were not able to account for it, because normally they're seeding these various MAVs, you know, thousands of kilometers away from one another. So, the one they're closest to executing is Ares 4, obviously, because these guys were Ares 3, and it was a, a failure, it was an abort, but it is what it is. So he knows that the best chance of getting home is to get to wherever Ares 4 is going. <laughs> Here it comes. <laughs> I'm just like the shit out of this. I, I mean, it's such an obvious quote. I don't know how anyone didn't come up with this. I think the, I think the opening line of the, the book, of which I haven't actually read yet, um is like, boy, am I fucked, or something like that, you know? Which is brilliant for a, a science fiction book to just be real. This is great. He's testing the the, uh, the rovers. He's going out further and further each time, seeing how, how long he can survive without freezing to death. Okay, double the battery life from the other rover, which is buried. I use the heater. Right, I burned through half my battery. And this is just brilliant. And this is the first of many very believable things that makes this way more quote unquote hard science than most hard science science fiction. And it makes <laughs> right killed by the laws of thermodynamics. <laughs> yeah, he just gets too cold and has to turn on the heat. But he takes a you know a giant mass of radioactive isotopes that could like literally melt his face in two seconds if mishandled to create an unlimited you know supply of heat in the rover is is awesome. This looks just as good, if not better, as as Moon, um, which was made way lower budget many years before, but the scale was less epic. But you know they have real remote controlled devices here, and you can sort of tell that they're remote controlled from a distance. But just with what you want, you know, you want build to have like you know 12 foot long remote control devices and and have that be your special effects and not just cgi it oh here we go yeah <laughs> right planted the flags would never be stupid enough to go near it again this is the yeah <laughs> oh here's what the dancing i think is coming up this is great all right so at 38 minutes he's on top of the world he's solving the whole thing right decaying radio archetype is uh, decaying radioactive isotope behind me. Right, his biggest problem is not finding more music. This is officially the least disco song she owns. 
watch Damon. I remember watching this in the, mo- in the theater going, is he going to do it? Because now they put the music into, into in the front as opposed to in the back where he was listening to it by himself. Now we're all listening to it. He's listening to it. He's smiling, feeling good. Here we go. Watch out. Uh, uh, watch the shoulders. <laughs> oh, yeah, baby. <laughs> He's feeling it. Oh, God, is it good? It's so good. It's so good. So one of the many uh, overly optimistic, or at least highly optimistic parts of The Martian is the excessive voluntary transparency of NASA and feeding information to the public in complete form, including his you know messages direct from Mars and so forth. And this is great. It seems like Kapoor has got the, the press conference in hand. He's doing it so that Jeff Daniels doesn't have to be embarrassed again. But here we go. <laughs> We're going to bring him home. Look from Kristen Wiig. Uh, that was in the script. <laughs> Edge of Forest is just such a joy on, on all levels. Right. God forbid I say something positive. Yep, no more missing on TV. And of course, at the very end, he's back on TV. There's Sean Bean, um, the main antagonist. Um, well, I should say Jeff Daniels against him is the main antagonism of, uh, you know, parts of the movie. Never, you know, gets messier than you're fired, basically. So here's uh, uh, um, Mindy Park, played by Mackenzie Davis, now uh, a senior uh, satellite um, and seemingly you know, board, board member or whatever. Right. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, he just promoted her, you know, to like 10 years ahead of where she should be, not based on her intelligence, but just based on her age. Now, Daniels, you know, is already... Oh, here we go. <laughs> Bruce Ng, played by Benedict Wong. It's, it's, look at this guy. He's so funny. Three months. Yeah. He's maybe the funniest guy, funniest guy in the movie, other than Donald Glover. We'll get there. The overtime alone will be a nightmare. <laughs> Get started. I'll find you the money. Daniels is committed to it right away, which which works perfectly with his hard ass persona. Um, this character is interesting, Mitch Henderson. He's the one they could have cut, not just because you know. I mean, Sean Bean is a legend, and I love him and everything. You know, wish he was in this and everything else and more. Um, but you know, him being specifically in charge of just the the flight team makes total sense. You didn't need it. Those are the little touches that that make this movie both more believable and more lived in. In terms of uh, in terms of world building or universe building, all right, back on Mars. Listen to the uh, the, the atmospheric music by Harry Gregson Williams. It, it's uplifting, but it's cautiously uplifting, just like he remains cautiously optimistic. Yeah, like I said, NASA's culture to always expect to die, basically, and stay fully operational, and that's what he's doing. You know, this is the best thing for him to do, even if this fails, just to keep his head in the game. Okay, so he needs to figure out how to communicate with NASA slash JPL. And the fact that he comes up with this before the genius is at NASA and JPL, you know, just show how smart this guy is. And this is the first and only time I think he teases that he knows what you know what he wants to do, what he's going to do, and doesn't tell us straight away. But that smile on his face says it all. 
And, you know, this is a callback to my childhood where I was totally fascinated by the Explorer and Pathfinder missions to Mars in the mid to late 90s. It was so cool. They were bringing back real images. The internet was going enough. NASA was very quick to to, uh, to get on the internet, actually, as a place to educate people. And as someone who was reading about astrophysics and cosmology, it, you know, it really just blew my mind. I couldn't get enough of it. So here we go with the Pathfinder. Unless he's taking a direct route. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck is he doing? What obstacle? Alright, as soon as he says, ask the Dahlia Planeta, he goes, ooh, there's nothing. Nope, there is something. What? So, these two make a great team. She gets annoyed with him occasionally, just because they spend 20 hours a day together. This, of course, is totally a movie device where they have to take a picture off a wall to get the satellite image, even though this is one of the most important satellite images ever. Maybe they, it was just close to where they were, and they needed a bite. And, and you got the cafeteria guys yelling at the head of the Mars mission, one of the senior officials at NASA. It's great. Everyone has respect, but, but no one is like... Uh, no, no one's a zombie in this movie. It's a perfect balance of, I'm going to follow orders, but if I you know, don't like your orders or question them, I'm going to question them. I need to get an airplane. All right, so we're about to see Matt Damon you know, dig this thing out of the ground, which is really amazing. And honestly, this is where I got my full buy-in to the movie. I mean, the drama, the comedy, the character stuff, the plot, all the, all the characters, the, the quirky but relatable humor. I loved it all. And growing the potatoes was amazing, but it makes perfect sense. But I never in a million years thought that the Pathfinder, you know, 20 years ago from here, as we'll hear, died. Um, although Bruce Lang, of course, defends it as, as lasting three times longer than it should have. Um, Bruce, is, Bruce is really the moral heart of, of this side of the universe. Um, him and Edgy Ford together. They're, they're the brain trust. Um, it's not that they never make mistakes, but there's really no wrong decisions they make. They just get unlucky with a few things. The wrongest decision was waiting to tell the crew of the Hermes, but I'm not convinced that even if they had told the crew of the Hermes immediately, you know, as they as they knew that Matt Damon wasn't dead, instead of waiting four months, I told them, you know, after two months when they found out, I still think they would have done the Rich Perdell maneuver and come to rescue him, but it's an interesting argument. This is great. He's already dug the uh, the radioactive isotope device out. These suits are different than ones for normal spaceflight. And there's a reason why they're so big and thick and bulky. It's because when you're dealing with terrain and storms and rocks, guys riding a bicycle around, totally miss that. Uh, by the way, I've hypothesized that these guys here from 97 are actually the real guys because they don't do anything but shake hands and look really happy to be here. Uh, and then that's the last I hear of them. Right, right here, you know? It, it, this seems like a, a low risk activity here, rel- relatively low risk activity, digging, but you need to be really padded. I mean, look at all the layers of padding on the thing, and yet it's so flexible. It's a brilliant design for a spit pace suit. It's highly appealing, totally functional. There it says Aries 3 next to the NASA patch. This is it. So they built two, right? They built at least two. One that they sent, and then one that they kept behind, 
to be a replica to communicate with. Not for this exact situation, because if, if it was for this exact situation, then they probably would have thought of it before Matt Damon did. Um, this is great. He has to fold up the panels. I mean, he has to do so much work. You know, he, they needed to give the rover a crane uh, on the back. Um, I think that's probably realistic right here. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, I know this is all CGI, but it looks totally real to me, just the movement of the thing. I think they did use a lot of modeling and then overlay, old school, uh, original Star Wars trilogy style. Open up the panels. Not to mention this is going to be able to provide more uh, food and uh, uh, power for, um, or I should say more power, which will lead to more food. So they have the two pathfinders, what might as well be the other end of the universe, even though it's just two planets separated by a, a few million miles. How does he know where to plug in things? You know, he's a genius, and, you know, they make space stuff module-based always, whether it's the ships themselves or the plugs or the devices or the robots or whatever, for just such circumstances. You know, our, our computers, up until recently, you've had USB 2, USB 3, micro USB, mini USB, Firewire 400, Firewire 800, Thunderbolt, Lightning, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm not even talking about, you know, SDHC cards, like from your camera, multimedia, I mean, so many things. It's impossible to share information when it should be easy. And here they said, nope, everything's going to use the same interface in case we need to, you know, pirate shit together. And that's exactly what's going on. This is a great movie. Yeah. Okay, this is where he uses numerous F-bombs without ever saying the F-bomb. And me and my dad are just hysterical when we watch this. I laugh. Because it's such a rousing moment, but he so quickly becomes angry because there's only one thing he cares about, and they didn't do it. And so he just loses his mind. And he continues to give him a hard time going forward, which is a great character twist. He gets annoyed at all the botanists telling him what to do, and, you know. Okay, here we go. So he makes the sign. And what's great about the Pathfinder is... The first part is finding the Pathfinder. The second part is bringing it back, putting it together, and, you know, 2.5, having NASA figure it out and get ready for it. The third part is making the alphabet, or at least signs here, and then, you know, then, of course, the final cog being the, the hexadecimal system, which we'll get to. Can you imagine? I mean, they underplay this. I like they underplay this. You'd think they'd all be going, oh, shit, oh, shit, I can't believe this is happening. And this is great. This guy has only this one scene. One exactly being out gunk with round table of snappy repartee. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Bruce, Tim, Tim, shut up and do it. Yeah. Pointing the camera. <laughs> That's the thing. I mean, you know, there's 12 plus like famous actors in this movie who kill it in their role, big or small. But they also have like another dozen small players like that guy who are perfect. Oh, watch this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, he's celebrating too. <laughs> yes. There's the rub, right? They're breaking it down. Yeah, and they don't. They, there's exposition, but they wait until the final part of it's together before they give it the exposition. He's probably been thinking about this for a while. Luckily, camera does spin. Hmm. I can make an alphabet. So the hexadecimal is actually not that much smaller than ours, but it's enough. 
Right. There's none, the camera can spin, but he has to know exactly where the arc of the camera is. Or they both they do on both sides to know who's saying what, when, how, and why. More potatoes. Got his little salt, pepper, and olive oil there. She saves. It's the decimals. Yeah. It's funny that he needs to go into Johansson's crate, but... It, this is one of those character-building moments. Talk about my dad on the Martian podcast. We learned so much about the crew before we ever come back to them based on, you know, he's carving up Martinez's Jesus things, and, you know, Johansson's a big nerd with smelly poo, and, you know what I mean? <laughs> Leather goddess is a phobos. She must be my age, Johansson. <laughs> the Smithsonian of loneliness. <laughs> Okay, so the hexadecimal, I believe, is uh, nine, like ten numbers and nine or ten letters, which isn't far off from the twenty-six English letters mixed with excl- um, with a question mark. Maybe it's less. Right, this guy figures out right away. He was just making a joke about the Algonquin round table, and he's going, actually, as interstellar stuff goes, oh, boom, here comes the fast motion stuff. This is awesome. Keep the camera placed. Have these guys do tons of work. We're seeing you know minutes and minutes and minutes, if not hours of work in, in seconds. It's perfect use. The, seeing the scientific progress at work. We don't need to meet every single scientist verbally. They all have their characters based through this project and saving this guy. And that's what's so brilliant about the movie. So really, some characters are more fleshed out than others. Some get more uh, screen time than others. But because it's all in the context of trying to achieve a, a singular, you know, important goal, everyone is given, um, you know, kind of bonus, bonus powers or bonus stats, if you will, based on that. Here we go. Okay, so what does it go up to? What letter? Oh, no. Okay, so hexadecimal chooses certain certain letters. Oh, is it just... Oh, no, no. All right, yeah, 4C, 4-9. Yeah, you can make any, any letter or code using the hexadecimal. That's awesome. This whole thing is amazing. And here's where I couldn't believe it in the theater. And it's totally just a stunt to have Jeff Daniels be embarrassed and have to tell the president. But uh, right, not their fault. He's always stressing. But, you know, again, Vincent Kapoor wanting to be too transparent and sharing information to the people of the world that leading to, you know, people having three-year-olds uh, reading not very nice things on <laughs> television and internet coming from Mark Watney. It's a little outside of his character. Um, after he learns that it's the world. When he thinks it's just them, I can totally get him cursing them out, but the whole world. And then the Algonquin roundtable guy, the computer starts interpreting without saying. It's just palpable with with Chiwetel IG4, how excited he is, even though he's trying to keep his cool, all these guys. Oh, world's rooting for you. Everyone's standing. And and this is why the movie, you know, doubles its budget. Because they said, we are going to build these spectacular sets, both, you know, in Mars, but also NASA, JPL, and the Chinese NASA, which are just all retrofitted of the same set. And we're going to have long, extended, amazing, dramatic moments in these places. What took you so long? Is that what they said? Here we go. Yeah. 
and this is great because he's mad at them, but it's catharsis. It's an excuse to turn him. Mean, he's shivering with expectation about this. It's easy to turn that into anger. Everyone's crying. Even Daniels is inspired. God, he is such a douche when he wants to be. That's a lovable douche. Oh, how's the crow? Here it comes. This is funny when Bruce realizes. In uh, people's various leadership seniorities, it just flows so smoothly. It just makes the sense that some people are more in charge than others, but you know, the main head characters, Bruce, Chiwetel, uh, Sean Bean, and uh, Jeff Daniels as, as Teddy Sanders. Can <laughs> we get some space, please? Me. <laughs> This guy is one of the great tiny character arcs ever, the, the Indian dude. Tell him, right, that's what I'm saying. It's like, these guys technically have different roles. They're playing for the same team, but he really respects Bruce, even though this stuff is is Vincent Kapoor's territory. This exact situation of making these hard calls are Vincent's. And Bruce, who's all about the technology, you know, is the one to say, this is the right thing to do. Yep, hits him on the shoulder. It's amazing. It's amazing. They just love each other. Oh, God, here we go. <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> it has what the fuck in the subtitles. They they muted it in the movie. You can hear it just a bit, because you're only allowed to have one F word. Although, me and my dad talk about why they gave this one multiple F words, because of how important this is to our kids and F word in Jaren form, F word again is wrong with you. And you, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Sean Bean's laughing. Yeah. Love seeing Daniel sweat. <laughs> Live all over the world. That seems impossible to believe, but. Right, here we go. You, yeah? <laughs> Think he's going to get more conciliatory? Nope. He must have had so much fun filming these scenes where he's just fake typing and making faces at the screen. Matt Damon, that is. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> They don't even say it. This is great. Yes, sir. He's a tremendous amount of stress. We're working on it. I'm sure he didn't mean what he said. Who was he talking to? Thank you, Mr. President. <laughs> and this begins the the beginning of the, the, the fissure between uh, Teddy Sanders and uh, Sean Bean, uh, Mitch, Sean Bean's character, about who should know what. Yeah, it should be up to the crow. Yeah, they needed to set this up, obviously, for later when uh, when uh, when Mitch goes behind Teddy's back and transmits the Rich Purnell maneuver to the Hermes, and they buck authority and break orders to go save their guy. Nice to get a full-on shot of the Hermes. I think the Hermes spaceship looks uh, actually better than the spaceships in in, in uh, Interstellar. And this was a brilliant choice to have Chastain's face. I mean, it's, she can't possibly be thinking about it every second of every day, but I bet you for a few minutes every single day, she thinks about Mark Watney. This looks seamless. This is, they do this way more than in Interstellar, and I think it actually looks better. I have no idea if this is green screen in the... <laughs> uh, but, uh... That, yeah, so it's so a flying inside. The spaceships themselves look great, but you think, like I said, a few minutes a day, Jessica Chastain would be thinking about it, and we just happen to be watching her, you know, during one of those moments. 
<laughs> German fetish email. Telemetry updates. Whoever does it for you, man. You know, they, they make fun of the German. It's great. Everyone gets made fun of. Ah, Sebastian Stan. What a stud. Bucky. Buchanan. Cap's best friend. I love the way Sean Bean plays this. How understated it is. Look at the crew. These are the main three right here. Sebastian Stan and the, the German guy Vogel don't get as much as much screen time. Uh, and that's just because these three have very, these three right here have very specialized stuff. The other two are more support. He's alive and he's healthy. It, it's like, what's worse? You know, that, well, he might have been alive and now he's dead. Nope, he's still alive. Two months. Yeah. Yeah, Martinez. Is, he's great. And this is it. This is what sustains Matt Damon for like four years before he gets picked up is communication with the crew. And I'm in here, Chastain's going to say, it is my fault after Teddy just said it's not your fault. He goes, no, I shouldn't have left him there. And I left him there. So uh, Michael Pena, who plays Martinez, obviously, can be drop-dead hysterical um, like an Ant-Man or have a more restrained and serious form of humor here. Very human. Here we go. Yep, I left it back. Left together. You were following orders, right? And this is the thing about great leaders. They have to take responsibility. Even A, even if they don't deserve to be the only one. Um, or B, if they don't want to be the ones to take it, they still have to take it. They have to. You need You need all guilt and shame and remorse removed from your crew. And that's just part of being a leader in, in situations like this. Right, so here's where everything seems too good. They're having a micromanage his crops. I don't mean this sound arrogant or anything, but I am the greatest botanist on the planet. <laughs> so yeah, everything's looking good. He's eating the potatoes. Now they got email because they they were able to hack into the uh the rover using the Pathfinder. It's all very complicated, but I remember my first watching being not distracted at all, which is amazing because usually when you have these sorts of scenes, it is exposition, but it's more character stuff. All right, he colonized Mars, right? <laughs> you know, but I was able to fi- to uh to follow the science just fine, and it's, it seems that most most were based on the reviews and box office totals. Oh, this is great. It does the happy days photo. <laughs> this is very, this is very like Joss Whedon humor right here. Uh, yeah, coquettish ingenue. I mean, who else in Hollywood other than, I guess Drew Goddard, uh, other than Whedon, would bring coquettish ingenue into a situation like this? Here's the 70s can-do music. And I think it's also because disco music, while uplifting on the surface, is kind of superficial in some cases underneath the surface. And so I think it's also meant as like a bizarre foreshadow of, man, we're kicking ass, everything's going great, and then things go wrong you know, multiple times between now and the end. And it takes a while for the disco to come back once stuff... <laughs> the fonds. Uh. Alright, so now all right, now Bruce and Chiwetel are the, the camera. Oh, man. <laughs> right, Vincent's trying to loosen everyone up. Launching supplies. Okay, so the home and transfer window has to do... Uh, <laughs> Mitchell loves the crew. He's, he's such a maverick like they are, which you have to be. 
And, uh, right, so this is one of his, he has just enough crops to last, you know, two years and uh, ten months, you know, but we're going to be there in two years and eight months, we don't have much room for, room for air. All right, I hate this margin, Teddy knows his math, this is great, he's really, he's working the pro- problem as, uh, you know, he's working the problem as Jessica Chastain says later. Stay focused, work the problem, that's what science is saying the shit out of stuff is oh this is I, we just missed where he goes if, just you know assuming nothing goes wrong and you knew in the theater when you saw it that shit was gonna go wrong because they've been telegraphing it the whole time and it's just a type of movie they're, they're preparing you for it because they know how heartbreaking this is gonna be when he and his potatoes die uh-oh boom that looks like a Helm's Deep explosion from Lord of the Rings and Two Towers. That was a really, really convincing-looking explosion. Look at this stuff flying all over the place. Yeah, this this way out did Interstellar, I, I think, for me. And you know, when when it's either super dark or super red, it helps. Yep, super H. Thank God for duct tape. It's funny because in real life, you have to be using. You know, there are different types of duct tape. People don't understand that. You buy the cheap stuff from like the pharmacy. You know, it's just going to peel off with humidity. You need the, like, heavy, heavy, heavy heavy-duty stuff from Home Depot or or whatever that they use. Um, Because not only does he save his helmet here, luckily he's got a spare, but he's able to, you know, keep the Mav, um, or the Hab, I should say, the Habitat, you know, closed enough to live. And like all great science fiction movies, you have to have multiple countdowns. But this this is the most intense and explicit. The uh, rescue at the end isn't actually a countdown because they have to abandon their entire timetable to, to make up for changing conditions there, which is part of what makes it cool. Yeah, I mean, you know, when I read science fiction, I tend to read sort of medium future science fiction, not the stuff that takes place like millions of years from now, but not necessarily this speculative, you know, quote-unquote hard science fiction, although I do like this stuff. I tend to like the stuff that sort of takes place a few hundred years or like a thousand years from now or something like that. However, in movies, this... It's not that it's a lower level of difficulty, but Ridley Scott could really go Ridley Scott here without having to do really any serious technobabble other than just explaining his schemes in a very basic scientific way that we all can understand. And these are the scenes, I think, that kept Ridley Scott engaged from the dark side, even though they're brief. He needs to have a little bit of this. Any movie that wants to be taken seriously has to have moments like these. You could complain there's not enough, but there's just so much going on in the rest of the movie. It's such a feel-good story. Yeah, I just thought of this. Part of the high level of difficulty factor, which I give an A to A plus for this movie, is making a movie where you know the entire time he's going to get rescued and that no one's going to die and still make it suspenseful and exciting for over two hours waiting for it to happen because of, of the character and because of the effects uh, and just the structure of the whole thing. Oh, right. It's uh, it's nighttime, so I guess he's going to stay in the uh, the rover for now and deal with the fucking bullshit of a blowed up hab later and the potatoes are beautiful imagery we'll see him tomorrow quote unquote at the movie when he goes back there 
Uh, by the way, I forgot to mention earlier, oh, this is where he loses it. I'm not going to say anything. Classic sci-fi shot right here from the side. Takes his helmet off. Not dead. Almost wishes he was, I think. Because he's not rational at this point. That there still are, are possibilities. He can't even get to di- get to damn. He's so pissed. He just says, God, 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 God. It's so hard to do stuff like this and make it original and interesting and compelling. But here we go. Uh-oh. So the crops are dead. All seems lost. Everything they've been building towards, even though we're just over an hour in. Uh, it was a great choice to have a major uh, setback early on, relatively early on in the film, less than halfway. Right, he can still eat the potatoes. It didn't kill the potatoes that are edible. They're just not going to grow. 200 souls. Right, rations to 409. They're doing the math again. Potatoes, 609. Right, so they previously were thinking still 868. He'll be long dead, like a year dead by then. We're working on it. <laughs> Sean Bean is rarely this, uh, uh, you know, uh, self-unsure. That's what really uh, informs his great characters like Boromir and, and the Fellowship of the Ring is an outward strength and confidence that's belied by, you know, fear or just insecurity below. And... <laughs> Need a change of clothes, which means a lot of things at once. God, this is brilliant writing. True Goddard, who I haven't even mentioned yet, is the creator of the new Daredevil series. Uh, as of me recording this, they just released Daredevil Season 2. Have not seen it. Oh, this scene coming up is amazing where they're emailing with each other. Um, I've heard two's good. I didn't love one as much as many people, but Goddard clearly has a vision, and the script for this movie is just airtight. It's really like like a, you know, I, I compare the Martian and Creed to the best um, superhero movies for a lot of different reasons, but one of them is writing, you know, showing just enough of each character to make this w- world feel so real. And Sebastian Stan's is there playing cards, listening to it. Kate Mara's is being adorable and giggling, which I could watch all day long. Sorry. <laughs> Jessica Chastain is crying. It's such a beautiful thing. It's great. It's so great because within you know two minutes of them being actually together in the beginning, and then a bunch of communiques like this, you have to think is happening way more than we're seeing. You know, they know he needs contact to stay sane. They're probably doing daily emails at least with one another. Um, <laughs> right. Unfortunately, the disco music still survived, and now he reads it. <laughs> look at look at Chastain. God, she's so good. I go outside and look at the vast horizons. Michael Pena reading it takes on new meaning as as Pena repeats what he's reading. Oh man, Sebastian Stan, that guy's such in such peace with himself compared to the Winter's Soldier, to say the least. It's amazing. He doesn't even look the same. Sebastian Stan's one of those guys that um, can look totally different in different roles and is great looking no matter what. Um, 
Damon's a little bit like that. And, and Leo, I mean, these days, you can get Damon and Leo to look a lot of different ways with makeup and so forth. What's nice is the music is keying us that things aren't as bad as we think. It's a, it's a darker, more minor version of the sort of plant water music or plant water theme. I mean, seriously, like what movies do, do you know, plants and water each have their own respective themes, basically. You know, that's the thing. You know, their characters as much as, any, as anyone else. Um, right. Even with the best duct tape, you gotta do this. You know, the key with the duct tape is where's the pressure coming from? He's trying to keep the air out. So it's gonna be blowing in. And so it's gotta be able to withstand the pressure there. Yeah, I mean, these, you know, these few shots of Jordan uh, are really effective in, in connecting the landscape and making it feel real. Very pressurizing. Now he's on to the next task. But as I was saying, the music is just upbeat enough to think, okay, well, you know, we're halfway through the movie. This can't be over already. Yep. And what's great is, you're like, oh, okay, he just duct taped to chat. What's the big deal? Other than losing the potato crops, we'll see that the storms keep coming and it gets hard to think and focus. Right here with the storm, him looking at it, you know, counting potatoes, thinking that the the hab could give out at any second. Look at that. I mean, this is the most scared he's ever been because the, the, the first few traumas happened so quickly, he didn't have time to think about them getting getting stabbed and knocked by the the, the radar dish and then, you know... Look at him trying to count here. He's it's like, you know, the most focused guy in the universe. Can can barely even count. Yeah, I mean, again, I, I didn't see Revenant. I know tons of people who did. I thought that was Oscar bait for, uh, for Leo. And maybe he deserved it. But for me, this is... Let's put it this way. I think Matt Damon will be more remembered relatively for this role than Leo. <laughs> okay, so... Uh, I'm going to have trouble getting through these scenes with Rich Purnell played by Donald Glover. <laughs> I thought that was um, Martin Starr when I when I first saw it. I don't think it is. Watch this. He, he spits, up, spits the coffee out into a trash can with no bottom. <laughs> Rich isn't exactly disrespectful. He just could give two shits about authority because he's just focused on solving problems. Yeah. Right, so he's working the problem from different... This is very subtle what goes on with him. The fact that he's working on a maneuver, even when they have the rocket, the emergency rocket that they try and send him coming up, and it blows up, he's still working. He never thinks that that's going to work or be sufficient, is in my interpretation. Yeah. This is the whole slingshot thing. They, You know, this is... Uh, <laughs> I'm fine. Look, ooh, dynamic camera. You'd never see a comedy like this or Ridley Sky. Yeah, he dumps out. <laughs> Sorry. He said, "You know I'm your boss, right?" <laughs> Do I understand? You understand I'm your boss, right? Uh-huh, yeah, sure. 
It's, he's not disrespectful because he's bucking authority. He's just smarter than everyone, doesn't have time for it. Okay, here it is. Right, here's the very expensive question. Can they do the rescue probe? And because they're desperate, they get sloppy. 15 days. Yep. Oh, three days to mount probe. Right. I'm getting down to two. Bruce, it's like it's like always negotiating like in, in like a third world market with with Bruce, negotiating the price of various doodads. <laughs> okay, so there's a five percent chance that not inspecting it will cause fatal damage, and of course there's fatal damage. But these probabilities mean almost nothing because there's only a few that are quote unquote mission critical, where they're up against it like this, and the whole man's life is in the balance. Usually it's for satellite launches and so forth. And actually, this is the one reason I'm, I'm slightly with Sanders later on when when Sean Bean's character, um, uh, you know, the, 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 the flight launch director or whatever. Uh, Mitch Henderson, when Mitch calls Jeff Daniels a coward later for, you know, not at least giving the crew the option of doing the risk Purnell maneuver, I thought was a little bit of a, of a low blow. Uh, they're assuming a number of scenes and a long working relationship with these guys. It actually works better when you watch the whole movie and you see them at the end kind of, you know, reconciling a little bit. It's one of those sold-through performance. <laughs> Here's where he's... Pretty- <laughs> I can't believe this. He's crushing Vicodin. Because why not? Nobody can stop me. <laughs> he's putting it on record that he's, you know, taking Vicodin. Although, you know, within his health condition... Straight up. Oh, he ran out of ketchup seven days ago. So, you already know this isn't going to work before it happens. And the speed with which they move to the launch, essentially, makes it even more... Uh, look at him. I mean, yeah, Ben Guang is so funny, but you put him in these giant epic sound stages, and he he's a huge star, you can just tell. He's going to be a major character in Doctor Strange uh, this November with Benedict Cumberbatch and this guy here, Chiu you for Do you believe in God? You know, but you had to do this. You had to. You had to have a huge failure so that you eventually had a huge success. And between the music and the performances and the lighting, I mean, look at the lighting. Look how toned down the lighting is. They're in the shadows. You, know, you can barely even see Kristen Wiig. Uh, you know, this is this is what their souls feel like. Okay, so this is where where, where uh, <laughs> this guy looks like Martin Starr. Oh, he's, yeah, Kristen Wiig squeezes Chiwetel's shoulder. I mean, it's all just so great. They're such a team. These guys all learn to, to live and work together so well, despite some issues and, and disagreements. Um, anyways, but at JPL, where uh, Bruce Ng was watching, and it was all red, right here, JPL, I think they just repurposed that whole room to be the Chinese, where everything's red and black. Right, and this is the thing you don't notice, unless you're really smart. For me, it took a few times of watching. Rich is not even watching the, the entire thing. He's still working the problem. He have, does not think this is going to work. Now, if he really didn't think it was going to work, you'd say, um, uh, uh, why didn't he tell anybody? Well, he's just a you know, low-level JPL brainiac. These guys seem confident. What's he going to do about it? You know, It'd be hard to even give them the message. And uh, he, he's, he's looking at the larger goal. And that's what's really about this movie. The, you know, so from... Uh-oh, here we go. So, from when the hab exploded a few minutes back to this. 
They do a great job of framing this, by the way, and showing the thing explode in a very realistic way. You know, but even during... This is arguably even more heartbreaking than the the potato explosion because this is really, in their minds, the last shot of getting him anything to sustain him. Uh, And uh, yet they have young Donald Glover, hilarious genius, working the problem... Debris falling from sky. What's great, though, is they could have just said, okay, there's a 5% chance that it wasn't going to work and we got unlucky. But they realize exactly how... Oh, no, how did the launch go? But they realize exactly how uh, they got unlucky, which was important, you know, that when stuff went right, it was because of science, and when stuff goes wrong, it's because of science. Oh, man, the red planet, look at that. Whew. God... The thing is, and as we see here, for the next you know, bit, he he is coming to peace with his situation. He's done everything possible. This is more character building where two characters don't speak directly. He's writing her an email. He somehow hasn't contacted his parents. They must have had wind, even if they weren't on the internet or watch TV, had wind that he was still alive. It's implying that he doesn't talk to them, I think, is the idea. And this is, you know, I talked about how hard it is to be a commanding officer. Some of it is hard because of personnel or situation, and some of it's personal stuff like this. She she hates to have to do this because of what it means, or could mean, but there's no way she's going to think twice about doing it. She'll do this. He knows it. Right? Prepare for every outcome. This is the first he sounded fatalistic. And it's hard to blame him. Tell them I love what I do. This is it. This is the scientific mission right here. And I'm really good at it. Yeah. I'm dying. This is the theme of the movie. This is it. Yeah. I'm dying for something big and beautiful. The discovery of the universe. This is this movie captures the romanticism of science, which on the surface seems contradictory. But this is beautiful when you see it. Thank you for being my mom and dad. Yeah, okay. It's very strongly implied that they haven't talked in a while. And that's... Okay, and this is it. And this is where it flips. These are the two top Chinese officials right here. I'm going to turn the sound a little bit. Even though it's subtitles. These are the two top Chinese officials seeing that the Mark Watney rescue basically failed. The, the two top NASA officials who are their comrades, if you will. Here we go. They're asking when I was going to die. I love this scene. Sorry, people. There are other ways, says she. Zhu Tao. Right. They have their own booster that's more advanced than ours. That's not impossible to imagine. Has enough fuel for Mars. Right. Why hasn't NASA approached us? NASA doesn't know. It's classified. And this is it. This is the utopic message of Mars. Not only does China help us, but we don't even know, as Americans in this situation, that China could help us. And as she said, they would have never known that we could have helped if we don't do anything. And they decide to do it to completely, voluntarily give up their technology, canceling an entire, you know, uh, space program. We need this to be scientists, cooperation among um, scientists. Yes, here we go. And this is what's great about the movie. We've had about 10 to 15 minutes of really bad news, and now it's Jeff Daniels. Yes, God, is he a good actor. 
<laughs> my, <laughs> my uncle tied me in China. Oh, he's related to them. Uh, it's just too funny. Yeah. 28th. And that's great. So Rich Purnell's still working on a maneuver because they're still operating under the assumption that the booster is just going to give them food and wait for the next full mission. Purnell's trying to figure out how to bring him back well before the next mission. The reason it's so cold is because com- computer systems this this powerful need to be in an almost a frozen state, um, like zero degrees Celsius or lower, because of how much heat they give off. So they suck the heat out of the room. Here we go. Here's Rich Purnell taking over NASA. He's so pumped. <laughs> you should hang up the phone. <laughs> he he is also a great singer. He was on the Creed soundtrack, and he's very very funny. He's got like stand up and stuff online. Donald Glover here. I know how to save Mark Watney. Right. He already knows. A, he knows from the last probe that the new one won't work either, even though it's more advanced. Oh, here we go, Project Elrond. <laughs> I always forget that Edgy Four is the one who makes it up. I thought it was Prindell. Yeah. And here is Sean Bean, who was at the Council of Elrond in the movies as Boromir. Right, they decided to destroy the One Ring. The kids are loving it. <laughs> Jeff Daniels wants your movement of of uh, you know, a real sarcastic, humanistic humor. Who are you? <laughs> this is Rich Purnell. Yeah. Well, five six one. That's fast. So the slingshot maneuver is science fiction 101. I've read and seen a million pieces of science fiction. It's such an easy concept, but they wanted the dramatic and comedic effect of this whole thing. You know, it's so condescending the way he delivers it. And when you think about the fact that they all know what a slingshot maneuver is, it's even more condescending, but you had to do it for this. You had to do it for this? Me and my dad died every time we saw this. Teddy, I'm the director of NASA. Cool, Teddy, you're Earth. Yeah, it's good that he made him not the one getting bopped on the head. All right, here comes the sound effects. It could be so annoying in lesser hands. Look at his little scarf there. He's a total black hipster dude. That's funny. Black hipster, rocket science genius. Grabs the, as my dad says, he's molesting Daniels both physically and sort of verbally throughout this. <laughs> he wants to be up on the up there so badly, but he never will because they need his brand on the planet. You know, fly by, right? Oh, so <laughs> poor Kristen Wegg. Right, so he's already proposing picking up Watney. They know they can also just drop the rocket unmanned with supplies for him. <laughs> right, and then the math checks out, and then we have multiple scenes where they're like, we've done the math. Yeah, Bruce. <laughs> Rich, yes, get out. Gives him the pen back. Oh, my God. Uh, as I mentioned in my Martian podcast with my dad, Jeff Daniels is horrified by the disrespectfulness of this kid, but just cannot stop listening to his ingenuity. If Vincent says so. Yeah, well, shouldn't Bruce be the one to say so? Right, because there's two options. We can only do one. Right, enough food until Aries 4, or get him right now. We, we, right, need the Chinese rocket no matter what. I have to choose one. 533 days to the mission. They ended up with, they end up with uh, 99. 
Right. Sean Bean says the obvious, which is true, which is as soon as they hear the plan, they, they will agree to it, which is exactly why Jeff Daniels won't agree to it. And he lose the crew. Right, here's Bruce in a moment of real seriousness. High chance of killing one person or low chance of killing six people. Right? Yeah. Right? Teddy's bullshit. This is where he calls him a coward. Yeah, it's hard to disagree with after all their disasters. It's very hard to disagree from a rational standpoint. Um, with Jeff Daniels. Mitchell with option one. Calls him a coward. And then later, when he calls Mitch into the office, because he knows Mitch has sent the, the code to them illegally, you know, Jeff Daniels says, you know, this is about more than one man or one person. And Mitch says, no, it's not. And that's the thing about the movie. And that's why they couldn't kill anyone, you know? Because if you, if you kill two people to save one, what's that saying? But if everyone risks their lives and then comes back, you say, well... You know, if we do have a chance ever to save people, we should do so. Here's Kate Mara looking adorable on the, uh, oh, this is great, the letter, on the uh, treadmill, you know. So this is all camera work here. The the way you see the the rim of the, uh, or the ring, I should say, of the Hermes spin. And it's a combination of the camera moving along a circular track and then mirroring it in the, where we see the space out the window, which is just green screen, that has to be lined up exactly the same to look like you know we're moving along the axis like the like the uh the the habitat area of the ship is at a ring yeah yeah for him to stop her exercise because of a email from his his wife mm ASCII text Three impulse transfer orbit, earth gravity assist, rich pronoun maneuver. It's a course correction. Right. Right. So he's the other part of the brains, actually. Right. He's he's the scientist, she's the tech nerd, but they're the two smartest on the on the ship. Sebastian Stan is just like a muscle and can do everything. So here's the third <laughs> time we are the numbers we'll check out. It's a brilliant course. Yeah. Cloak and dagger. Yeah. This is Sebastian Stan being a little old-school Bucky from Cap 1. I love it. You know, feigning, feigning a tiny bit of cockiness, but really just full of love. We can do it. Yeah, this is where I fell in love with Kate Barras, this scene. Which, when she does her whole techno-babble. So these guys are military, so they're somewhat, they're somewhat different authority than just NASA. Yep. <laughs> Penny's about to jump in. Right. If we mess it up, we die. If we mess up the gravity assist, we die. <laughs> we do everything perfectly. Yeah. We still have 533 days more to the mission. It seems at first the German is the most hesitant one, but it's just his sort of zen attitude. He He's processing it at a higher level than the youngins. <laughs> Sign me up. Slow down, cowboy. I mean, it's, it's like these guys have acted together over like a course of five different movies. It's unbelievable how comfortable. <laughs> yeah, which is great because the spoiler alert: at the very end, Michael Pena is definitely allowed back up as the commander of of uh, Ares Five, I believe. Yeah, remote override. God, she's so adorable. <laughs> Pena, Pena's just got a great pun to him. 
Right, so here's the techno babble that they make fun of. Is this is the only real computer techno babble in terms of just the length of it and the fact that they don't expect you to understand it, although when you l- listen to it multiple times or read it. Yeah, she basically needs to override four redundant systems. <laughs> like in English. Yeah. No astronaut would ever say that, but yeah. they're always making fun of uh, Johansson. I can do it. That's unanimous. This is great. This gives you chills. Right, he he points out the obvious. Does Vogel nine hundred days in space? And you think he's this is that's great. He doesn't have that much screen time, but this is a great delivery here. He says nine hundred days in space. You're Sebastian Stan. You think he's going to say, "I don't really want to do it," but okay, he's going. You know what? That's a great number of time in space. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh oh. <laughs> I remember the first time at the theater. This was classic. Uh, Stilly eyed missile bed. <laughs> I mean, you know, with people that smart, even just five of them, I, I totally buy that they could control the, you know, <laughs> be controlled not remotely, especially since they end up having to control Watney remotely from the Mav. Um, <laughs> this is great. Sean Bead. I mean, they play this. He plays this so that he's a horrible liar. And this is like a token. Right? Whoever gave him the maneuver. Just only pass along information. Yeah. He's great at self-rationalizing, like with the ring and Frodo and a load of the rings. You may have killed them, Mitch. Here it comes. Find the same more. Right. But they're not in Mitch's head. It's true. If this whole thing goes wrong, then everyone's screwed and they're going to shut down the whole program. You know, that, that's the conceit of the movie is that, they, you know, morally, from like a, a totally abstract moral standpoint, you can see where Sean B's character is coming from. But from a practical and even ethical standpoint, now they have to bring him home or they're really screwed. Um, in reality, Daniels is, is making the right calculus. But, you know, that's, you got to give yourself up to that. Right. Uh, I thought we already knew the map floor was at the Scaparelli uh, crater. Yeah. So that's what it's going to use to go up in orbit. Yeah. I guess it has me. That's what Scotty in Star Trek calls hitting a bullet with a smaller bullet. <laughs> Thumbs up. <laughs> he loves the fans. That's all he's got. Right, so now he's got to go mobile with all of his technology, which is really tough, including enough food. I think this is an 18-month voyage. Right, all, this is it. This is all the brain power on the planet, helping me, everyone from around the world. This is a great physical gad coming up here. Right, the first thing they came up with is drilling a hole in the... <laughs> we're going to get there. Yeah. They start by drilling a hole into the only means of transportation he's got. We're going to get there. I love how they mirror this. You can just, you know they're falling. It's just a question of whether the NASA people fall first. Boom, boom. <laughs> That's really dangerous, actually, with his suit on. Up oh, there in China. This is great. I don't know where they shot this. It's probably Shanghai. Or Beijing. Yeah. You gotta get the David Bowie in. 
<laughs> yeah, the, the uh, awkward pleasantries. Yeah, I love that he's got it. It's like uh, Jesse Pinkman, Breaking Bad, little robot that just is always uh, crawling all over the floor for no apparent reason. He's got the Pathfinder just going in a circle. Why not? It's solar powered. It makes him feel less alone. This is the Goodbye Mars meal, which I, I guess he eats, although you'd think right before he wouldn't even want to have any food. Right, here's the family. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is it. They have to sell their, all of their families in two seconds and show that they are sacrificing, even though they're, they have a better chance of surviving. <laughs> there it is, brothers in arms. Yeah, he need to cheese. <laughs> oh, man. Tommy, my Uncle Tommy. Bruce Ng is Benedict. Uh, I say Benedict Wong is Bruce Ng. So... What's great is you think it's okay. We're just gonna get to the rescue. Here's this guy looks like David Tennant a little bit. They do spend a minute on stage, I think, at the very end together. This couple, but most of these families never see each other in, in real life. <laughs> we haven't done things that way since Apollo Nine. Uh huh. What's well, the Chinese? Mm. Yep. Did you get that? Yep. Yep. We got it. <laughs> No, I guess that's how we're going to do things. But the thing is, they saved the real harebrained scheme part of this whole thing, you know, as as late as they can, because you don't want really a lot of time to digest it. Uh, you know what's going to happen here. So I guess that's where he's storing supplies. Oh, oh. This is an amazing effect. This is Hollywood here, people. Only a few directors and cinematographers could pull this off. Look at this. I mean, he's probably done this a million times with his little kids, and they love it. Right, there's the Chinese... Uh, uh, yeah, that's the JPL uh, uh, launch room, which they just repurposed for uh, for China. It's not terrorist, kind of the way that NASA is. Right, you got Starman going, we got rockets launching, the Chinese. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's funny, too, you'd think after all of this, Jeff Daniels might... Unhardened his heart enough, but I, I think you know. Let's be honest. Sean Bean's well into his sixties at this point. I, I don't think it's a bad excuse for retirement. <laughs> we see him golfing with this kid and grandkid afterwards. Dude, I, I mean, I saw this so little time after. Um, I should say, you know, I I saw this not much long after seeing Ant Man and Michael Pena, while hilarious in both, could not be more different. And you've got Sebastian Stan, another Marvel character, Kate Mara. Uh oh, they're starting to sell the romance. You don't really see this coming at all. I love selling late romances subtly. Look at her. Oh man, she was in the Fantastic Four. Really sad that movie bombed. Also, Michael B. Jordan. Those two deserve better. I hope they get another chance at the superhero thing if they want. Chastain has been rumored for numerous properties, including uh, Captain Marvel, a.k.a. Miss Marvel. Also possibly uh, in the Inhumans. Then we got Chi Wintel Edu 4, who's going to be in Doctor Strange. We got Benedict Wong, who's going to be in Doctor Strange. So, you know, they spend most of the time with the ship going towards the planet, and then we see the rocket coming up and then connecting, and then leaving the planet. You're like, okay, we didn't get to see the full uh, slingshot effect. And if you've seen, you know, TV shows, I, I think the show that's done it the best is uh, uh, Stargate Universe, actually, which was the third and final Stargate TV show, the only good one. It was quite excellent. It only lasted two full seasons. It was really good. 
They're in this ancient ship on the other side of the... Right, this is the... We don't want Mac Damon to have to lose 70 pounds for three minutes, so we're just going to have a body double. But they need to replenish in stars. They're in this ancient ship that can fly through the core of stars and replenish itself. And, you know, they're constantly having to slingshot around shit. And it looks amazing in terms of the movement and the light and so forth. But they save their bucks for the final rescue coming up. Yep, there it is. As he talks about laws on Mars and being a space pirate coming up, this is the water music. This is the discovery music. This is what we get early when he's making his first discoveries. I think this is really the Martian theme. I don't know if it's officially the Martian theme, but the sort of uh, water growing potatoes music is what they play when things are going better or apparently better or just applying your brain to try and survive. <laughs> Right. You know, here's all the module stuff, plugging things into other things. It makes total sense. Which, by definition, makes me a pirate. <laughs> Mark Watney, space pirate. Gotta love it. That's awesome. Just like the crew of the Serenity. Or the Guardians of the Galaxy. Alright. Marks all the days, just like a prisoner in a cell. Takes one long look back. What does he forget his helmet? Yeah. <laughs> Space pirate. Yeah. Yeah. It's not exactly Johnny Depp and the Pirates of the Caribbean. It thinks it has a little bit more. Jack Sparrow never really thinks. And yet here he is. Space pirate. He's got everything on board. He's got fuel. He's got food. He's got solar panels. He's got communications devices. He got the whole thing. This looks awesome. Yeah, they definitely built a uh, practical version of the of the rover. Uh, I'm not sure they actually ever drove it anywhere. And this is it. This is the road trip. I mean, you think. You know, 10 or 15 minutes ago, when the Chinese and Americans decided to put their hands together, we are going to go straight to the rescue, but we had to have the Rich Purnell maneuver, and then them talking to their families with 533 days more of space, and then Matt Damon getting his shit together. And you, you could easily have gone from, you know, two minutes ago when he was packing up to the crater. But after all the time that he spent here, right, everywhere I go, I'm the first. This is, this is important. Yeah. You know, this is this is a very Tolkien-esque thing, actually. Is to just—I mean, here it's visually describing, as opposed to in, in prose and poetry. But describe the environment. Look at those twisters back there. Tons of solar panels. I mean, it's absolutely brilliant. They could repurpose the solar panels like that. And it's too hot in the day, and it would waste—you know—waste fuel. So he sleeps underneath it as to not overheat. Storms in the sky. He's just praying for nothing even close to what the original storm was. How's he doing? Oh, this is a great little exchange. Yeah. yeah. This is where she gets annoyed with him a little bit, I think. Yeah. Right, this is how's he doing? No, really, how's he doing? Yeah. Yeah. How's he doing? Yeah. How's she supposed to know? Captain Blondebeard. Edgy Four figures this out. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, he explained it to us. Got another one later where, where he's humoring her. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. I mean, that, I mean, it's, you know, it's really, it's, it's Daniel's edgy of four and Bruce Ng, played by Benedict Wong. I mean, that's the, the troika along with Matt David around which the whole thing revolves. But you had Mindy Park there, you had Rich Purnell, you had the dude, he said it wasn't going to be an Algonquin round table. You know, you just add all these other characters. Sean Bean, obviously. Kristen Wiig, hilarious, but so human. Great to see Kristen Wiig get to actually act. She's amazing at it. And I've said before, and I didn't make this up, but I've heard a million directors say this in commentaries and interviews. It's much easier to make a brilliant act uh, comedian um, into a really good actor than vice versa. Because either you're funny or you're not. But if you have the skills to dissociate and be hilarious, you probably have some acting skills under there, or at least above average ones. And, you know, Kristen Wiig really gets to, to flex her acting muscles. The looks between them when something's fa- failing or succeeding, is her squeezing Vincent's shoulder on the, you know, before the launch. Look at how beautiful that is with the solar panels. Boom. You know, I mean, they they, they took a, a full uh, four or five, six minutes on the on the road trip. I think it was important. You couldn't just extract him s- suddenly after everything. So five seventeen. I always think this is a. <laughs> You're not gonna like this. This is you, you think the great comedy is over, but no, this is maybe the best bit. They save it for last. Yeah. Right. MAV's low Mars orbit. There's no way that the Hermes is gonna be able to do that at the speed that. Yeah. Right. He has to be going fast. We need to make the map lighter. Yep. 5,000 kilos, okay. I mean, it's hard to even know what to say during the scene because this is the greatest uh, scientific comedy ever. And it's not just that because it's fantastic science delivered hilariously, but because with the models and just how human the characters are, you only need to know basic human physics, or basic physics, I should say, to understand what they're talking about, even if you don't see it coming. Right. This is important. Yep. Man ships controlled remotely. <laughs> I'm excited about the opportunities. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no backup comps. <laughs> Bruce. Not the bad stuff yet. <laughs> He's got the chart. The guy pointed out the chart. Oh, man, this is great. Bruce is just horrified. What he's having to tell them. You want to take the nose of the ship off? <laughs> no. Yeah. They're going to cover the ship with canvas launching it to space. Which is true. It, it, the air he doesn't need. And it's thin air. Uh, right. But... <laughs> he wouldn't have sent him on, it was into space under a tarp. 
Yes. Can I go on? No. Oh, man. That's hilarious. Are you effing kidding me? And this is the other moment where she's like, yeah. <laughs> God, Mackenzie Davis is brilliant here. She's really trying to humor her boss. Yeah, yeah, give me the first one. You know, it's that little scene, that thirty seconds. You cannot cut for movies like this because they humanizes the characters to such a high degree. They clearly come to care about each other, it, it trust each other. But you know, him being the boss, still occasionally, yeah, whatever you say, boss. Oh, here's this Gabrielli cr- crater. Man, the Italians get all the good creators. <laughs> I guess that's because of Copernicus and so forth. forth. Well, the Italians. <laughs> I know what they're doing. <laughs> this is the best way to learn about his reaction to it. It's to come at it sideways. Right, distracting me from how crazy the plan is. I get to go faster than any man in the history of space travel. You're launching me in a convertible. <laughs> Right, acceleration. <laughs> yeah, fast, very unscientific. <laughs> yep. It's great, you know. He, at all moments where he sounds, I'm a space pirate, I'm the best, you know, botanist on Mars, I'm brilliant this, I'm good at that. It's all just to keep himself sane. You know, his ego is truly very small for a guy of this uh, brain power and courage. I'm not going to tell them that. But these little milestones along the way. If I make it, I'm going to be a legend. Hey, fuck it. And look at that. Look, I love it. He turns his nose a little bit. Let's do this. <laughs> and this is what's great. After all, uh, we finally get some, like, punk music. Uh, after all the disco and ambient uh, or- orchestral stuff. And David Bowie, we got this. Well, yeah, it was all road trip music the whole time. I can't remember what that big ball is. There must be a reason for it. It's a beautiful thing. So that's already been sitting there at least a year or two, as far as I... I mean, I think they seeded all of these. Okay, so this, I don't know for sure, but I'm guessing this takes place in the early to mid-2020s, or, you know, would make sense to me. And if there's five Ares missions that are planned... They might have dropped all five of these Mavs like 10 or 15 years ago. They're just sitting there, you know. And for them not to get unlucky with that storm after like years and years of sitting there, it's my only qualm with the movie. It's a brilliant idea. And the only reason he can be saved is that there are other ascent vehicles. This is great sound and visual. The slow-mo destruction of the the, uh, the Mars ascent vehicle. Taking... Taking things apart. Boom, throw it out. I'm trying to remember what this reminds me of this uh this visual imagery stuff. I think this is goes all the way back to him just saying Mars fuck you at the beginning. <laughs> fuck you, Mars. Yeah, he does say fuck more than once. They get away with it. Fuck you, Mars, you know. Trying to conquer the planet, go against any rational or scientific thought by taking off the nose cone of the freaking ship. 
that's like the most important piece that isn't the sides. Oh, but wait, he takes out the windows and sides too, I believe. So here's all the stuff that would be waiting here normally for a crew returning from a mission, from their actual mission. Here comes the tarp. <laughs> when it said to bad at the space with the tarp. Yes. Can I go on? No. <laughs> So I've been teasing over numerous podcasts that, as different as they are seemingly in genre, uh, there are a lot of similarities in structure, both big and small, between The Martian and Creed, my two favorite films of the year. And one of the closest similarities is an epic final conclusion that has been teased the whole time, but you weren't sure you were going to get, and that you think is just an action set piece, you know, to be an exciting ending. But it's really most effective because it's character building the entire time. He says 10 is jumping on a moving train, although later he says I can handle 12, you know. Yep, here's more physical stuff. They do this in Battlestar Galactica with models of spaceships and so forth to help make the the physics make sense to... To us, <laughs> lowly uh, peasants. Vogel's back up. You really think Vogel or uh, Sebastian Stan are going to die? Yeah, yeah. There it is, Kimar. Look at that little tap on the arm of Chastain. It's little things like that that make you know good actors into great actors. Did they tell her to tap the arm twice? You know, it's almost neurotic. It's... Uh, it, for a highly organized, highly functional person. Understandable tech. Oh, is this the final Mars meal? It's almost sad that he leaves. I mean, he's so happy to go home, obviously. But, you know, the, the type of mental revelation that you get in a situation like this is uh, irreplaceable. Take care of this rover. She saved my life. Yep. Unclear who would ever recover the rover. Not that the Aries for uh, Mav is is used here. They go right to to Aries five a couple of years from now. This just looks great. I mean, Lord of the Rings is really the only epic film where you know it's clearly huge swaths of CGI landscape, just because you know it is, but you can't tell at all. Uh, totally seamless. You gotta have the Apollo 13 moments here of the whole world watching. You know, and that was why it was important early on to establish NASA as very transparent, which they are in real life, but even more transparent here to get people involved. And that this is such a big deal with all the death and suffering on the planet, all the millions of people per week or month that die from war, starvation, famine. They have to acknowledge that they have no control over the situation at all. And that's what's so cool is, you know, they remind you that even though it seems like you're hearing a live feed from Chastain and Matt Damon and so forth during the operation, that it's actually a 12-minute delay, uh, which makes the waiting even more painful because it's already happened 12 minutes ago by the time you hear about it because of the speed of light, I suppose. He's shaving. Really not hard to make someone look overly skinny. Um, 
you know, to overlay his face and have someone else's body there. It's nice that he doesn't cut himself. I, I, I'm so sick of, you know, men cutting themselves on a razor in the mirror during an important existential, you know, personal uh, point in their lives as if to signify something. Okay, these spacesuits are amazing. Uh, you know, I, I'm not sure what the NASA spacesuits look like at this point, but they ought to look like that, even if they don't. Right, now the Chinese are invested. See, this was so important. You get the Chinese invested, and now all of a sudden it's 2 billion people of the planet on board. London, we know there's a German on, you know, on the crew. What was they saying? We were talking psychology or something. And this is climbing to the top of the mountain stuff, but we've so earned it. We've so, 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 so earned it. Right, he just straps in, and, and there's nothing holding him in there other than the chair, basically. Okay. And this is the thing. Based on everything in the movie up to, like, 20 minutes ago, I didn't think I was going to get my, like, sci-fi nerd boner stuff, but we totally get it. Oh, here it is. He hears her voice for the first time in years. Two minutes, Watney. How you doing? I'm good. I'm anxious. He's crying. Thanks for coming back for me. We're on it. Right. And he does pass out. <laughs> Calls him an asshole. It's, it's, yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. And this is why the Serenity crew is so great. Even though it's the future in a different, you know, in, uh, it's in the future in a different universe. They make fun of each other, and that's how they get through the death-defying moments. Yes, they're happy just that he's awake and says go. That's the first major step. Oh, look at Kamara. She's so sweet. I'm sorry, people. I just got a huge crush on her. Yep. See you in a few, Commander. They definitely got uh, Times Square and Trafalgar Square and China full of people. I mean, it looks totally real. Oh, look at that shot. So much cooler than anything in Interstellar. This is amazing. We get the sci-fi stuff without having to go far future. You just don't see this that often. You know? Boom. Look at this. Circle all the way around. The windows are out. The nose cone is about to break off, I think, from the, the pressure. He's seeing everything break. The canvas is coming off. There goes the nose. Nothing protecting him against the G-forces, but he gets into space. Uh-oh, 741 meters per second. Yeah, it's fighting me. That's the thing. They can have Rich Purnell's amazing calculations down to 99.9%, that last 0.1% when you're actually there. And then the guy passes out and you're moving too fast, and he's moving too wide, it's just going to happen. They weren't able to remove enough weight, despite all Bruce's calculations. God, Jessica Chastain so owns the, you know, important parts of this movie. It's it's extremely impressive. I, know. I, I said it was the three of, uh, or four, of Edgy of Four, and Jeff Daniels, and and uh, Benick Wong, and maybe Sean Bean, and then, of course, Mark Watney, played by Matt Damon. 
fuel's right. So this is it. This is it. His fuel's done. He has no fuels. I don't think he has uh, thrusters at this point, and so he's just hurtling, you know, not at the right speed or direction. This is almost impossible to do. The spinning shot with stuff in the air, it's all CGI. Right, he already said 10 meters per second. Uh, it was like a moving train, and then they said 11 meters per second. And Sebastian stands, says, I can make that work. 68 kilometers. Right, here it is, work the problem. Yep. Uh, here's the main three on the, in the cockpit of the five. Right, so now they're saying, okay, what's the minimal amount of fuel do we need to get home and be lucky to get home with that 20%? Yeah. Right, it's exactly the the difference. And this is great, that there is a lot of signs at the end, but it's just all about intercept velocity and course. Anyone who's been on a boat or follows airplanes or drives a car, I mean, seriously, like, these are very applicable and relatable physics. Okay, so they're shooting thrusters there. Slow themselves down. It's still not going to be enough. And the ultimate slowdown maneuver is brilliant. Oh, here he is. Look at this. Spinning around. He's got spin. He's twisting. Map to Hermes. Affirmative. Yeah, okay. It's accomplishment number two. You know, oh my god, look at Mackenzie Davis. Yeah, it's great. It's great. This is the feel-good movie of the last few years. There's Benedict Wong. Oh, oh. oh I forgot Pernod was there. They had to have him there. Right, intercept velocity. Right, it's range and velocity. I mean, it's not uh, in direction. It's not hard for people to understand. Here we go, the Iron Man. I love this. Because not only do they propose it, and it just seems like a joke, but he actually ends up doing the Iron Man thing. Yeah, here it comes. (laughs) Uh. (laughs) They're laughing at his balls. Right, how can you have any control? Yeah, you gotta eyeball the thrust vector. <laughs> He's already sightseeing the shit out of stuff again after waking up, it's great. Yeah, consider this. <laughs> get to fly around like Iron Man with all the Marvel characters in this movie, it's amazing. Let's go Iron Man, they love him that. His balls. And, uh, and here's Commander Lewis, being a badass again, shutting off her bosses in the world. <laughs> right. No, it's the worst idea. It's the worst idea ever. <laughs> yep, atmosphere thrust. This is brilliant. She comes up with this. This is great that that the commander just comes up with this whole idea. Yep. <laughs> right, we need air to not die. Continuing the jokes about dying in space. <laughs> yeah, they can't. They can't believe her. Her nutsack. Sorry, not being that. Gender specific here. Can you make? Can you make a bomb? I miss the line where she's like, "I need you to come back in and make a bomb." <laughs> it's a terrible, terrible idea. 
Uh, can't make a bomb without me. Sorry, guys. It's hard for me not to just watch this final part. It's, yeah. You know they're going to be able to. And they're back on. I, I love this. The Their reaction on their faces. <laughs> it just keeps getting worse and worse for Chiwotology 4 in terms of how extreme they have to go to make this plan work. You know? This is now far worse than anything Bruce Ng uh, proposed in terms of blowing the nose off the uh, the map. This looks so real. This looks so real. Ridley Scott, when he sets his mind to it, Gladiator, you know, boom. Best medieval movie in a very long time. You know? Founder of the modern dark AI movement with Blade Runner. Founder of the modern, absolutely not. Founder of the modern sci-fi horror movement with Alien. Yeah, here comes the fake ego stuff that they know. I should have loved this guy, Mars. I love it. Yeah, Kate Mara in a space jumpsuit is. Uh, uh, thank you, Ridley Scott. <laughs> Right, liquid oxygen. This makes total sense. I, I think this is like nitroglycerin, which is ultimately what TNT is made of. These are the two brands on the on the ship. So it's like five sticks of dynamite, basically. Yeah, they're like, yeah, let's blow some shit up. Yeah, motherfucker. Totally unclear why. Sebastian Stan had to go the long way, or I, I guess I should say the short way around to the front of the ship. It must have just been a timing issue. Oh, back. That's, uh, yeah, back. It's Bucky. It is. Damn, Chastain's a badass. Fucking they. And she gets to be the brainiac in Interstellar. Here we go. I think I had figured out at this point that there was something going on between these two. But, uh, she's gonna not leave it ambiguous. Oh, they're using USB there? Right, hey. Yeah, they they care about each other. And the way she kisses them and what she says, don't tell anyone. I don't th- yeah, this gives them this, I mean, you know, if you're a guy, you spend a lot of time with a woman that you have a thing for, and you find out she has a thing for you, too. I mean, setting a bomb on a spaceship is really not even that big of a deal compared to the, the, the female stuff, you know? And that's the whole point. She knows that, you know, she, she could just give him, it's like instant liquid courage immediately. So, you know, they blew the Mav up. They, they blew, let me put it this way, they blew the Hab up at least twice, the habitat of Mars, and then they blew apart the Mars Ascent vehicle. Uh, but now they're gonna blow apart. Uh oh! Oh no, not Bucky! <laughs> now they're gonna blow apart the nose of the Hermes. I mean, they're just destroying shit. The thing is, you can get away with destroying shit for a while. This looks so seamless. I do not know how they did the flying in the ship. <laughs> She's such. Yeah, I I think that, that looking back on it. It's not that she wasn't a badass in Zero Dark Thirty, but she was just supposed to be more of a sensitive character like Claire Danes. Here, she's fully confident, emotionally stable. You know, she's hung up on leaving Mark, but other than that, she's totally got her life together. 
boom, boom, boom. Look at this cut ang- angles. I mean, this is a flawless sci-fi movie, you know. Do the most interesting ideas of Interstellar surpass the most interesting ideas here from a philosophical standpoint? Yeah, by a little, a little bit. But this is the true spirit of science fiction realized on the grand stage. He was going to do this. Right, it's not a debate. I'm not risking another crew member. Yeah, he's, you know, she's like Commander Adama in, in, in Battlestar. I mean, she's just the perfect leader, despite any personal flaws you might have. Brace for deceleration. This is so awesome. Uh, boom. Oh. <laughs> Fuck, and hey, look at that. I can't believe that they could have measured that closely. You know, how are they going to speed up now? I guess they still have 25% fuel reserves to slingshot back to Earth. You'd think this would now mean more than 900 days in space. 12 meters per second. We know we can make that work. Yeah. The Commander Lewis role by Chastain is one that you know from the very beginning is important, but you don't know till the very end how important. As much as the older male characters on Earth are key, both dramatically in terms of plot, this is it. This relationship, this is it. You know, 312 meters. Yeah, look at <laughs> look how real that looks, floating around in the pod in space. He's got to go Iron Man in the end too. It's so great. She's she's gonna go loose. She's gonna go off the cord, which is very dangerous. I'm not gonna make it. I'm back on hook me. <laughs> I got this. Here we go. Oh yeah, baby. <laughs> this is you know this is Iron Man in the beginning of Iron Man one when he first is trying to learn how to use the suit and he's just smashing himself all over the place. It works exactly like this. He doesn't know how to control the energy. On my way. And, damn it. He waits till he sees her. Boom. There it goes. God, this looks so real. I'm so happy that this movie did as well as it did in the box office. I mean, to me, this should be like a $1 billion movie. I can understand why it's not, but... It's so entertaining, it's so colorful, with so many amazing different characters, and hilarious, and dramatic, and touching, without ever being cheesy. It's uh, it's a perfect movie. It is. Yeah. We, we had two perfect or near-perfect movies, and this and Korea. Okay, this is amazing. Look at this. Boom, grabs her. Oh, no. Ah. But she knows what she's going to do. She's, she's going to strap him around. This is such a beautiful image. So much cooler than just grabbing his hands. She's gonna wrap him up so he can't get you know, can't get going again. Oh man, Beck can just only watch this this ballet, this dance out in space here is, is fantastic. I don't know how they did this. I mean it's green screen obviously right here when it's up on their faces. But oh yeah, they got him. And that's it. They don't make I don't... I got him. Uh, yep. Uh, way to go, Iron Man. I love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When your soldier's laughing, he's going to try and kill Iron Man. Uh, did you tell her no? She's horrible music. 
<laughs> I have terrible taste of music. <laughs> oh, man. Ah, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Here's the announcement. We got him. I mean, you you so buy in. Look at Bruce. He's slapping hands with everybody. Everyone's dancing around. That's great. You know, I can't believe it. After everything they've been through. You know, Ridley Scott just got even these extras, everybody to go all in on this shit. And the way Bruce and and uh, and Vincent and Mindy and everyone celebrates, it's amazing. Oh, hey, handsome. Yeah, exactly. I love this. You think they're not going to be able to see him because he has to go through, like, you know, decontamination or whatever. Kristen Wiig acting her ass off. That's amazing. Yeah. Mindy Park without the glasses. Yeah, and this is exactly like the end of the Creed fight, you know? Ricky Conley won the fight. Adonis Creed won the night. Uh, she's first in. Kate Mara. I love it. This is why you know that he's there with her. That they're there with him, I think. This is some really good... No, he's looking right at them. It has to be him. That's awesome. That's awesome. And they do the perfect ending. Two minutes. He's still recovering. He's a little bit older. He's a professor. People worship him. They call him sir. He's drinking his coffee. He's going to teach the new generation. Yep, there's the mirror of the plant. Hey, you. Is that what he says? Or he just picks it up. Hey, there. You know, this whole ending's on the nose, but we've so earned it at this point. Yeah. Oh, they slow down. Morning, sir. It's an honor, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> Mark Watney is Captain America. He really is. If Captain America had his brains and was stuck in his situation, it's exactly how Cap would act. And in retirement, this is how Cap would act. Right, after that came to the program. <laughs> yeah. Not all the jokes land 100%, but that's because the class is nervous. They don't want to laugh at things they're not supposed to laugh at. <laughs> right, for my own shit. They can't laugh too much at that. <laughs> it's worse than it sounds. Yeah, this is exactly the professor when you're growing up that you just pray you have in college. Right. You have to think you're going to die. Yep. These kids don't look like future astronauts, but that's okay. They just look like smart hipsters. Yeah, he's describing the scientific method in action here. It's how I end as everything goes south. We get to work. Yep, you just begin. Solve one problem, then you solve another. I guess it's a good metaphor for life. This isn't how my brain operates at all. Which might explain... <laughs> Here we go. Yeah. Now back to the 70s music. 
a little more soulful. Uh, this is one of the great all-time, uh, you know, main closing credits. Oh, uh, there's Simon Kimber. God bless him from Fox. Does all the X-Men movies. You get to see everybody's face involved like four years from now. Here's Vincent Kapoor. His, look at that suit. Oh, my God. What a stud. That's Geotology 4. Yeah, Mindy Park looking a little older and, and more... Uh, Confidence. And you're going, okay. Oh, there's Martinez. Yeah. <laughs> Gives him a fist bump. I'm assuming Martinez in charge. This I love. Everything about Donald Glover's character. He's looking in the main room with the main crew. And Bruce has come in. And he goes, no, no, no. I'm good. Yeah. Commander Lois is still working her ass off. Goddamn. Her work ethic, right? Music by Harry Gregson Williams. Here's the Chinese. They get credited as they should. Matt Damon. Jessica Chastain. There's her man. Yep. They're all watching the future mission. I guess this would be Aries 5. They just grabbed four. Kristen Wiig. Looking super classy. Jeff Daniels. Do we see Sean Bean yet? Right, Michael Pena. This is awesome. What a great cast. Here it is. <laughs> Sean Bean. Oh, good shot. <laughs> That's Ned Stark, people. Oh, Kmar and Sebastian Stan. What an awesome couple. That's one beautiful baby there. CNN. Oh, here's the German family hanging out together. Vogel. Yeah, Mackenzie Davis. They're, they finally let her look sexy. She looks gorgeous. Benedict Wong. Yeah. Rich, very humbled that his plan led to all this, saved so many people. It, you know, again, sold completely through performance. And of course, somehow Chiwetel Ejiofor 4 gets the and Chiwetel Ejiofor 4 because he's that fucking in demand now. You know, he, he gets to build over Matt Damon and Jeff Daniels somehow. Oh man, Ridley Scott film, God bless him. He's never going to win a director's. Uh, Oscar, but this is one of two or three that he easily should have won for. <laughs> oh, right. I forgot the end of this thing. Uh, Alright, people, hope you enjoyed that movie as much as I did. And do, and I will watch over and over and over again. Goddamn is a good and funny and entertaining. And the bizzle is out.